guys. Welcome to Slash Report. Uh, this week is a very special episode, aka the most requested episode. As soon as we open our ass box to requests, this is Hannibal Season 3. And to help me discuss this momentous moment in fandom and Hannibal Lecter is Kit. Hello. Hello. And Raz. Hey there. So I basically forced both of you guys to come onto this podcast with me, more or less, because I needed willing victims to describe this show at length. It's just so much. It's it is so it's so as before we began recording, we did like a little bit of background work and like a little bit of uh, deciding who would be talking about what, and there's just like long, terrible pauses and people making long, terrible noises because this show really does, in many ways, render you speechless. Like, if I could verbally spew emojis, that might work. Yeah, it would be like the little crying face emoji for, like, six pages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we get into it, let's recap where we were left off at the end of season two. We had been abandoned at the precipice of what fandoms has started calling the Red Dinner, where Hannibal uh, was preparing to run away with Will, realized that he'd been betrayed, so then he prepared you know, a dinner over which to murder everyone, um, reveals that Abigail was alive, kills her, then he guts Will in the middle of a very romantic embrace, and then as Will is bleeding out on the kitchen floor and Abigail is bleeding out on the kitchen floor and Jack is bleeding out in the pantry, Hannibal walks... Alana's on the doorstep. And that is correct, sorry. That very important. Alana's been pushed out of the second floor window and is, like, dying on the front step. Uh, Hannibal walks out into the rain, looking, like, grievously bruised in his soul, like he can't fucking believe these assholes hurt his feelings, and fucks off to Europe with Bedelia. And that's where they left us for infinity, before season three kicked in, and Kit, where did that bring us? Oh god, so, season three. Prue is right, we are there at the Red Dinner for infinity, because we spend something like the first three episodes just rewatching those terrible moments. <laughs> they, showed fact, the, that, they showed that bloodshed so many times. So many times. But actually, the show takes a really interesting tack where episode one of season three, we don't really see what happened to anyone. Nope. What we get is Hannibal Lecter <laughs> and Bedelia Dumario living it up. Murdering people, eating people, eating Abel Gideon, so many flashbacks. It's a beautiful dream. Yes. And I think this was the point where you either were in it till the <laughs> end, or you were like, this is getting too art house for me. Yeah. It completely abandoned the trappings of, like, the crime procedural for, what did you call it, like, a fever dream for the first half of the season? A fever dream for the first half of the season. So it was its becoming. Yes. <laughs> Good. Thank you for that, Raz. Good. So the first half of the season, in following with the we're in Florence, we're in Europe, we're fancy. We, we're still sticking with the course names, except now we're in Italian. Antipasto, mm-hmm. Primavera, Secondo. So. Episode one takes the really weird step where we have no idea what happened to our ostensible protagonists. Episode two is where we finally get to see Will Graham again. And here begins the repeats of watching the terrible Red Dinner over and 
over again <laughs> from different perspectives. Yes. And he also is keeping company with his murder daughter, which we find out pretty early in the season is like a, either a ghost or a hallucination or she lives purely in his memory palace. Some combination of that, I think. And, like, I actually really have thoughts on Abigail's clothing, because if you look at what she's dressed in, she doesn't dress like herself in those scenes. No, she's a construction of will, right? Like, like... She's a murder daughter construction. The, like, draped white shell, that's not a very Abigail thing. That red coat looks like a copy of Will's. Yes, and it's also something that, it looks like something of Will's, but it looks like something of Will's that Hannibal would put him in. But even (laughs) beyond that, like, I think it's so, before we even move on to the second half of the season, I think it's so interesting to think about the role that Abigail plays in terms of Will sort of working out or working through his feelings post being gutted on Hannibal's kitchen floor, where she comes in and argues in favor of Hannibal, right? She's like, he knew how to cut us so that we wouldn't die. Like, he created a place for us. And I'm really dumb, okay? Like, I will admit it, I'm really dumb. When I first watched the episode, a lot of people were out there being like, oh, I knew that she was, like, a ghost or, like, a construction. I 100% thought that she had survived. Like, I was like... I like I wasn't even like willing it. I was just like, oh, she lived. She always lives on Hannibal. It's fine. But she no, she was I know so much by the show the moment something glorious like that happens. I'm like, well, this is fake. (laughs) I but I'm like really I'm like a goldfish. So like I genuinely I was like, oh, she lived. So I like genuinely believe she was alive. (laughs) So it it took a couple of episodes for me. After revealing that she was dead before, like, I looked at her conversations with Will in retrospect, where you realize it's, like, his internal voice arguing with him to still run away with Hannibal because I, like, no one has ever been in a relationship as fucked up as Will Like, I, this is so terrible. I just want to get, like, a guidance counselor to be like, no, no. They're going to need a team of guidance counselors because what also happens and why the entire first half so of like season three therapist. goes down. Yeah, but like a team because, yeah, they need a team of them. But part of why all this shit is about to go down is that Hannibal Lecter is getting bored wandering around Europe. He is. He finds like a replacement poet who is like Will Graham Light and fucking murders him and leaves him this Rose's Valentine giant heart thing. That heart was mental. I, so I watched, thank God that Marilyn also lives in New York City and that for the entire season, every time there was a new episode, she would essentially like, either I would go over to her house or she would come over to mine and we would watch the episode together. When that Valentine heart was left in the Norman chapel and as it started to grow hooves I think I like audibly (laughs) screamed I think I like screamed into my apartment and then as it started to grow antlers but had no head I think I screamed something like it got worse they made it worse how did they make it worse while curling into the fetal position on my couch little did past Prue know that like in just a couple more episodes we would have the great red dragon (laughs) So that was like another 
warming you up. That yeah. Was little, that was another just, highlight. It um, just kept escalating this entire season. Exactly. Okay, so how did the first... So the season is broken into two distinctive parts. How does the first half sort of end with us? Oh, God, so much happens. But, so, you can then break season three, the first half of it, into two parts. The first part is, where is everyone at the end of S2? What is their pay? Watch the Red Dinner 30 million times. <laughs> and then shit starts going down as everybody gathers in Italy and tries to murder each other all over the place. And then Mason Verger is back, who is the most awfulest of them all. That is very accurate. Mason. Yes, and in the season time skip we now have a new actor play mason which if you're gonna need to switch actors when you know the character gets their face ripped off that's a good time to switch no we need to clarify he didn't get his face ripped off hannibal got him tripping balls and he cut off pieces of his own face fed them to will's dogs and himself which was another classic i can't believe they showed this on network moment for the show i was trying to not consider that i just ate yeah, too late. Sorry. <laughs> Is this the part where I admit I didn't know they switch actors? Yeah, I mean, like, that's great. It's good no that you idea. couldn't tell. Yeah. They did that? Okay, yeah. Switching you. And hey, surprise, surprise, Alana is now uh, in cahoots with Mason to capture Hannibal. And then, oh god, the endgame of the Italian half is crazy. Crazy. Yeah. At one point, I had speculated at Prue on Twitter that, hey, you know, or maybe it was you, uh, hey, are we going to get, like, Will taking over all of Clarice's storylines? <laughs> I think that that was us having that conversation. And I think that I said something like, it's the only thing that makes sense. Because if the presumption is that this was likely to be the last season, they don't have the rights to Clarice. They and the Verger storyline, the Verger Farm storyline, is the Hannibal storyline from the book, which is the final Clarice and Hannibal story. So I, I remember so early this season, like when they were doing the Mason Verger stuff, I was like, "Huh, does this mean the Hannibal breaks into Verger Farms or like breaks out of his like people eating pig pen, rescues Clarice, or like rescues Will?" Bridal carries him off of the farm. Her, her, her. That will never happen. That Guess what, guys? Happen. Spoiler alert. Pretty much all of that happened. Uh, Hannibal tries to eat Will's brain, but Mason's henchmen get them and whisk them off back to the States, during which some fucked up shit happens. Yes. But some great comeuppance also happens. Yes, so we get in, in like, order of scenes that I didn't think that we would ever see. We have uh, Marco's baby being surrogated inside a pig. Like, literally, as soon as he said the surrogate was on the farm, I was like, I think it's a pig. I don't want it to be a pig, but I bet it's a pig because it's Mason. He's disgusting. So, like, dead baby sewn inside of a pig. That was fun. And then, you know, uh, someone cuts... Uh, Hannibal gets broken out by Alana, who basically forfeits her life because Hannibal promised that she would die at his hand in his kitchen because she didn't run away. Um, he murders fucking everybody on the farm with a hammer, rescues Will, 
cuts off Cordell's face. Cordell is like Mason's henchman. Cuts off Cordell's face, puts it on Cordell, uh, puts it on Mason rather, who wakes up finding out that his sister and his sister's therapist slash girlfriend, who she had a kaleidoscopic <laughs> sex scene with just a little bit earlier in the season, have like cattle prodded his prostate with the assistance of Hannibal to take his man essence so that they can have a virgin baby. And then they kill him with an electric eel. This like all happens in 20 minutes. And then, and then Hannibal fucking bridal carries Wolf out of the estates and back to Wolf Trap and gently dresses him and puts him in his bed. And it's just... I I got everything I wanted. Yeah, and then Will promptly broke up with him in, like, a brutal way. (laughs) And then Hannibal refused to break up. Refused it so hard. Yeah. So hard. (laughs) No one has ever... Beautiful breakdown of the, I don't want to know where you are, I don't want to know what you're doing, and, and then he does that. Yeah. <laughs> By that, Raz means, uh, he's going to turn himself in. So you always know where I am, Will. Jesus. Yeah. Hannibal's the worst ex. He, he really fucking is. Oh, but the other detail from that scene, which I found really interesting... Um, was that the notebook that Hannibal was writing in while he was, like, creepily watching Will's fucking sleep. He was apparently doing, he was apparently doing, um, formula. This is from Brian Fuller. He was writing out formulas where he was trying to figure out how to, like, turn back time. And, like, my heart sort of contracted. Like, I felt like a weird thing in my chest when I found this out. They could have had it all, and he still wants it all. They could have had it all. I mean, that teacup is real broken at this point, and I do not think it's coming back together. Okay, but that was, like, literally... Yeah, but that was just the first half of the season. So it ends with Hannibal going to jail, Will, like, trying to move on with his life. Which brings us to the second half of season three. Raz, what happened in the second half of season three? <laughs> three years later, Will Graham gets to be happy for five whole minutes. Oh, good. He has been. He has, in the meantime, apparently stopped working with the FBI. He somehow met a lovely woman who is some. How willing to marry him? This okay. We have to discuss this. We have to discuss this before we go on. A human woman (laughs) married (laughs) Will Graham. This hot, sweaty mess. (laughs) Like a human female (laughs) took a look at Will. My life is a hot garbage dump on fire. My life is a tire fire, Graham. (laughs) And married him, a human woman. I cannot get over this. Child, no less. Yes, this one. This will be the father of my child now. I just this one with his seven dogs. Seven dogs and his like Joker smile scar across his fucking abdomen is like good. I'll take that one. When his ex boyfriend tried to cut his head open to presumably eat his brains, like yes, like he searched his baggage on the outside, ma'am. Yeah, and yet, and yet, and yet, a Molly human woman. 
I have to say that this is like the greatest argument that like anyone can find love in the universe. <laughs> like not even Hannibal and Will, but like the fact that Molly married Will, a human woman married Will Graham, is like anyone can find love. You just have to look for it in the right places. Okay. Okay. What happened? Yes. Okay, so, Will Graham, um, somehow this human woman who seems by all accounts perfectly reasonable and rational and well-adjusted, yes. Molly marries Will with her son, Walter, and they get a farm in somewhere, question mark, question mark, presumably still Virginia-ish, with Will's million dogs, which they apparently keep adding to, and mm-hmm. everything seems really great for five minutes. <laughs> and then Jack Rothman shows up. And then Jack Crawford shows up, and Will doesn't want to let him inside. Because Why? Will has good instincts by this point. Kind of. Sure. But, but of course, Will... <laughs> he's still... Well, he... Yes. Yes, yes, well enough. So, he get, lets him inside, they have dinner, he meets Molly, he meets the kids, and of course, he has a job for you. He has what has recently become, come to light, the Tooth Fairy Murders. So, something new is going down, and Jack wants him back in, and Will gets the hell out of there to go walk the dogs with Walter, so Jack convinces Molly, which was really the only way this was going to happen. (laughs) So Jack convinces Molly that this is something Will can do to save people because it's the right thing to do and it's something he can do and so he should. And Molly turns around in turn and convinces Will, which is just going to go so well. So Will goes back to the FBI, and there's been a series of murders taking place, entire families festooned in uh, an array of mirrors, very specific, obviously, a new killer that we should all be very worried about, (laughs) uh, currently nicknamed by the media, the Tooth Fairy. He's a biter. He's a biter. Meanwhile, Hannibal Lecter has been hanging out in Chateau de Baltimore hospitals for the criminally insane, Mm -hmm. which is currently being run by Alana Bloom. Because speaking of people who want to know exactly where Hannibal Lecter is at all times, Alana's pretty high-ranking on that list. So Alana's running this. Chilton is still working there. Um, has written his amazing book on Hannibal the Cannibal. Which he has copyrighted. Which he has copyrighted. Because somebody in this entire show has some degree of sense about them. <laughs> Opportunism sense. It's, they're, they're like the same thing. Sure. Um, and, but it's been a while, it's growing a little stale, and Hannibal keeps writing, like, rebuttal papers for psychology journals, <laughs> and it's getting kind of embarrassing. Look, um, can, can, can we have a little aside here? Who fucking <laughs> dares review Hannibal the Cannibal? That was one of my God serious questions. Papers. What is what the- are the reviewer comments like? I really need to know. Yeah, I mean, like, what is the peer review process for for this like if someone submits a fucking journal for the from the baltimore hospital of the criminally insane <laughs> who, who, he's got credentials yeah but like how do you can't as someone who's actually an academic like how does that work what is the peer review process like hypothetically everything is anonymous everything like you get feedback fed through your editors who like strips out names emails and stuff but really, academia is a lot of little small ponds, so given enough time and enough Google searching and enough PubMed diving, you can usually figure out at least two or three reviewers who they likely are. 
Yeah, but like, which is why I'm like, who the fuck dares review Hannibal's papers? Yeah, but like, who is Hannibal's editor? Who is the editor receiving Hannibal's paper in the Journal of Psychology? Who is editing Hannibal Lecter before it goes to peer review? I don't even want to think about it. Unbelievable. Uh, Hannibal Lecter shoes, uh, shoes editors. Just, you know, straight there. We're there to help you. We're not there to hurt you. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, so Hannibal's, like, fucking with Chilton from behind bars. Oh, from behind bars in, like, the ritziest cell ever. He has needs. Like, he has he has needs, and they're they're doing really well at accommodating his needs. <laughs> like to the point where I'm definitely doing the like, is that just an ongoing hallucination? Is that a construct? Is that a mind palace thing? But it's consistent through the whole whole season, so mm. maybe. Who knows? They still let him apparently have access to cooking implements so that he can like cook for Chilton. While seething with rage. I I feel like Hannibal is like the worst. He's like so gifted at making himself intolerable. That he might be one of those people. It's like easier just like fucking give him a stove. Like seriously. Just give him a stove. (laughs) Oh. Well it seemed to have worked out for him. Even though he didn't get you know. His usual array of ingredients. Which I'm sure was very sad for him. But they let him have cow's blood. To make some kind of chocolatey orange delight that I would still eat. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Alright, so we've got that, we've got that, and then meanwhile, the tooth fairy thing is still happening, and of course it's getting worse. Meanwhile, we are introduced to the character of Francis Dollarhide. He meets Reba. Mm-hmm. Who is a lovely woman. She is blind and is very much one of the part of uh, Francis is Francis is the tooth fairy. Spoiler, you guys. Um, <laughs> but part part of his whole thing is he's got he's got a hair lip. He's mildly uh, he's got some mild facial disfiguration that he's really self conscious about. And so, sort of meeting Reba and being viewed person to person, just automatically, just this woman becomes a point of fixation for him. And also, you know, she's friggin' lovely. So that just makes it worse. Yes. And so they, and so meanwhile, we're getting to know Francis as he's getting to know Reba and they're getting to know each other. And it's actually all very sweet and endearing. So it's the worst. (laughs) Meanwhile, we are also uh, following as Francis Dollarhide encounters for the first time this image in, in a magazine of William Blake's The Red Dragon. And he just imprints on this. That this this image has finally given physical form to this thing, this seething thing that's been inside of him, which kickstarts the next array of these murders that he's been pursuing. And with all of this starting to escalate, and with Will Graham back in town, and the murders getting worse, and we need to stop them before they happen gosh, we should put those two minds with which, when we put them together, nothing ever went wrong. No. And Will goes to visit Hannibal to start consulting, to start working on this case more. And what a reunion that was. Holy crap, Ola. So much. (laughs) 
I just, I, like, that was such an incredible scene. Because even though it had only been a cup, like, not that long since we'd seen them in a scene together, somehow, like, fuck you, Dancy and Mads Mikkelsen for being, like, so incredibly talented. Because they made it feel, they made you feel every one of those three years. Um, and, like, Hannibal is appropriately, like, creepy as balls. Like, I'm getting the scent <laughs> off of you. Like, uh... Oh, that's right, that's right. Okay. Like, are Isn't you a... that the same perfume or before in court? Yes. Well, it wasn't even that. It was like, oh, I'm smelling something. Like, a like, like a cologne that, like, a child would buy you. Or, do you have a child, Will? Remember, I gave you a child. And you're like, bro! Hannibal! Get some fucking chill. It's like you've never run into your ex at the Baltimore hospital for the criminally insane before. Like, because you, he hasn't. You have got to like relax. You are not winning this breakup if you are like so totally out there. He put himself in prison and he never even called. Like inconsiderate, Will. Just inconsiderate. It's true. Hannibal does send him a note, which like Will burns. So you know. Which was a great idea on Will's part. Not a great idea that he read it. No, obviously not. Um, so the two of them start working together to find the Great Red Dragon. Alright, this is where I kind of... I mainlined a whole lot of episodes <laughs> in one go for context here because I was behind and the finale was coming up. So I watched a whole bunch at once. Raz, do you want me to take this relay from here? Um, for a little bit. I'm good again at the end. Okay. So... <laughs> Basically, basically, at this point, uh, Will is back to profiling. Um, you get little glimpses of the FBI's forensics team, which we always love. Um, and also, along the way, Francis Dollarhide, a.k.a. the Great Red Dragon, is starting to correspond with Hannibal Lecter, uh, who is performing, I guess, like therapy on the Great Red Dragon, but helping him in his becoming. Um, it's not until later in the series where Hannibal decides, I just would really like it if I sent yet another serial killer after Will and his people. So he encourages um, Francis to go kill Will's family. And this is the scene, like, and another thing that we have to say is that as much as I'm, like, just boggling that Molly, who is a human woman, married Will Graham, who is a human tire fire, um, <laughs> she is amazing. Like, she's not in the episodes that much, but she's phenomenal. It's, like, such a cool character. And when Francis comes from Molly and Wally at night, she manages to get them out of the house and keep them safe and get them away from the Red Dragon so that she's only, like, a little bit shot, that she survives and Wally is unhurt. And she and Will have an absolutely excruciating scene at her hospital bedside where she more or less is like, I thought that sending you back would be good, that you would regret not going, that you would be able to help people, and now I'm just really angry. Um, which, like, to me, Red sort of is like, I'm not going to divorce you right now, but I will definitely divorce you. <laughs> because if nothing, like, it's one thing to, like, marry a human tire fire, but it's, like, another thing to marry a human tire fire whose ex-boyfriend, who is in the Baltimore hospital for the criminally insane, sends, like, an on-the-loose serial killer based on the BTK killer after you and your kid. Um, to pour, you know, more gasoline on a tire fire. Exactly. 
So at that point, Will Will has been like in an interesting transitional phase. So like for the first half of the season, he was like in full like dark Will mode, like all sorts of like really great coats. Um, he grew, like, he had some excellent lumberjack face going on, but then, after he had, like, successfully married human woman Molly Graham, he looked sort of like Will, to, like, borrow a phrase from Entertainment Weekly, like, the human embodiment of cargo shorts, Will, again, like, he was just, like, a normal person again, well, normal for him, um, but then, slightly better dressed, but normal for him, slightly is the keyword, but then, like, after this, after this turn, where Molly and Wally kind of, like, vanish off the stage left. Understandably, like, it's, to me at least, it's implied that, like, their interaction is over. Um, Will, like, goes full fucking murder dilf. Like, so hot, great clothes, very angry and dark. <laughs> and he begins... This con- the part where he just stops caring. <laughs> it's pretty great. This is the the human embodiment of the. He's just done. He's so done. This was also so done with any kind of pretense. Yeah. This was also, I think, about the point in the season where I started having to watch the show by like turning all the blinds, turning off every light, and like jacking the brightness on my TV or computer screen way up. It's so dark. It's so dark. So dark. Um, Fast forwarding a little bit, essentially what happens is that Will and Hannibal have to kind of team up to capture the Great Red Dragon, um, because initially he fakes his death. Uh, wait, am I getting this order wrong? Yes. Um, okay, so here's what happened, because yeah. I literally just rewatched the final episode. I just rewatched the very first episode mm-hmm. and the very last episode back to back. Good. Fun. Yeah. Okay. Weird. What happened? Fun. Anyway, but okay. So the last episode, um, by this point, the Red Dragon has slash Dollar Hyatt has sort of revealed himself to Reba, who with whom he has otherwise had a quite functional relationship. Mm-hmm. But he sort of revealed himself to her, and she's scared. She knows she should be fearing for her life. And long story short, there he manages to set his own massive house on fire. And by all appearances, shoot himself in the face because he cannot bear to kill her. Yes. So she manages to escape. um, And while she's in the hospital recovering, has another very lovely moment with Will Graham where they get to have basically, you know, um, serial killer exes anonymous, like group counseling, where there's actually a really lovely line. I'm not going to quote it exactly, but where Will basically comforts her that, no, it's, you're not a freak that you attracted a freak. You attracted a man with a monster on his back. Yes. And just assuring one another, like, you're a person, you made someone, you made a monster more human. Yes. And he wanted to stop for you. So it's possible that you, you know, save some lives. And so they get to have that really lovely moment. And... Will moves on, and so, and at this point, our, our science team has figured out, with all due enthusiasm, that the shot-in-the-face body is not, in fact, Dollar Hyde, is not, in fact, the Tooth Fairy slash Red Dragon, so he's still on the loose, which is fun, and Will comes up with a plan. It's Will proposes no. to <laughs> so just a fabulous, fabulous plan. 
that nothing will ever possibly go wrong. That at the, that because um, Hannibal had sicked uh, the red dragon on Will's family, and then they'd escaped, and it had all gone up in flames. So basically, what happens at this point is that Will and Hannibal decide that they're going to join forces to, uh, or rather, sorry, no, my God, we're all fucking up. No, you know what? We're goddamn idiots. We're idiots. We're idiots. Okay, we're forgetting Chilton. You're correct. Kit, what happens to Chilton? Oh my God! We're terrible. But anyways, so in this last arc of the series, like, before things ramp up to the very finale, is in an effort to try and rustle out Francis Dollarhide, they engage Freddie Lowndes to write, like, a completely slanderous article, well, slander, how, how can you slander the fucking Red Dragon, article about the Great Red Dragon, that which quotes Chilton, who is a fucking idiot and should know better, and Will, who is, like, full murder dark will at this point right and freddie lounge takes a photo and will puts his hand on chilton's shoulder which is apparently enough to mark this motherfucker for death um so francis dollarhide kidnaps chilton glues him to a wheelchair and if you're thinking wait a minute is the other freddie's fate going to this fred you're correct he also chews off Chilton's mouth in, like, an incredibly gory scene that Brian Fuller and company linger over lovingly. And then sets him on fire and rolls him down a hill. He survives because Chilton is a cockroach. He is unfucking killable But he lives. And then he, like, has no lips, but sits there and, like, and says like snotty shit to everybody yeah lives to snark another fucking day at this point like they're getting desperate they have to find this guy so will goes to jack and is like the only way we can get this guy is if we bait him to come out you're not gonna like my suggestion and jack is like oh god what is it and the way that this line is said is so wonderful to me i don't know what it is about the performance of this line but hugh dancy says hannibal would be the best bait for the red dragon and like my little ratchet heart just like flutters like a butterfly for some reason i absolutely adore that um and he convinces and like what follows is probably like the most verbal foreplay foreplay scene I have ever seen in my fucking life because like Will is like dressed like a nice human. He has like his facial hair situation looks great. Um, he is so flirty and basically like goes to Hannibal who is like all tied up in his like restraint outfit with a face mask and shit. And says, you know, walks Hannibal through this, like, quote, plan that they're going to enact. They're not going to enact this plan. And at the very end of it, because Will, uh, because Hannibal has said that he'll do it if Will says please, Will, like, leans in real close and whispers please and does, like, a little. With the puppy eyes. Yeah, with the puppy eyes and the flirty eyebrow raise. And I was like, girl, what are you doing? And, like, of course, as soon as they take Hannibal out of custody, it takes, like, three seconds for Francis Dollarhide to knock over their prison transport, at which point I hand this back off to Raz. Raz. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, the dollar hide drives off because, oh, he won't do this here. Um, 
he won't do this here. And Hannibal picks up a car, or tells Will he whines too much, drives around, and in just one of the most glorious broad daylight moments of the season, pops open the door, shoves over a dead policeman, <laughs> and asks Will, are you going my way? It's so good. So they end up at Hannibal's secret hideaway mm-hmm. on the great uh, shores of the Atlantic, where they hang out, they drink wine. They, Everyone's back in suits and, like, new everyone's clothes. Everyone's back in suits. Presumably, you know, Hannibal got to dress well, so, you know, that's always nice. <laughs> and they're hanging out, and they're just, and they're having conversations. And this is the part where everything happens. Everything happens. Everything. All right, where it definitely, where they, they know Francis is coming, and, and so he comes. And he shoots Hannibal through the abdomen slash bottle of wine. And Which is rude. And prepares to, you know, Duke comes in, has, like, his camera, and is all menacing and angry and so willing because he has, at this point, become convinced that he can pass on the Red Dragon, that he can sort of um, exercise it from himself and give it to Hannibal the way he thought he could give it to someone else before. And so he's prepared his video camera that this is going to happen. Meanwhile, Will's just kind of hanging off to the side, drinking Drinking. some wine. Very, like, genuinely, casually watching Hannibal bleeding out on the floor, taking a sip of the red. Although, Raz, I do have to say, I think that what Dollarhide was actually trying to do was to consume, like, change Hannibal and then consume him as part of the red dragon. Okay. Yeah, I don't... I am am willing to roll, I am willing to concede this because, again, it's, it's so much. It's so much. Had I'm, I can read five different interpretations and be like, yes, that sounds excellent. <laughs> okay. It all sounds good at this point. Um, so that happens. There's definitely a little moment between Will and Hannibal where you get the impression they're going to go for him, but Dollarhide just sees this coming and stabs Will in the face. Which like, literally in the face. Like, I knew it was happening because, like, it's in the books, like, in the books, Will Graham has, like, a very bad end. He ends up, like, very disfigured and a drunk on the Gulf Shore. But, like, I thought the Brian Fuller was on my side. Like, I thought he was, like, I thought he was a bro. Like, I thought that he had cast Hugh Dancy in addition to being talented or whatever because he was pretty and he wouldn't hurt his face and I was betrayed. <laughs> they cast him as Hugh uh, Dancy because he is so pretty so it's gonna take a lot of work so it'll take a lot of work to ugly him up fine I think he'll be okay I accept also, this also it was just like an in and out stab versus like the book like drag through like and it was an in and out stab because so he stabs him in the face they go through another picture window because Hannibal's house is just full of windows for this exact purpose <laughs> on the outside on the edge of this bluff overlooking the Atlantic at which point Will pulls the knife out of his own face so at least it wasn't a stick and drag like there's that 
uh, pulls the knife out of his own face, turns around, stabs Francis in the leg, at which point Hannibal comes barreling out of the house, and there's just this absolutely gorgeous fight sequence that it's the two predators taking down an even larger predator as oh somebody brings out a gun that easily gets disposed of so it's down to grappling in hands and will get stabbed like two more times and this is also weaving in and out of just the fight scene of these three men and the fight scene of will and hannibal and the dragon as they just grapple on the edge of this cliff and it eventually finally culminates with Will gutting him like a fish while Mm -hmm. Hannibal jumps onto his back and rips his throat out with his teeth. Which is just so appropriate. It was good. It was good. good. But you know what? Some stuff happened after that, Raz. What what happened after that? What did happen after that? Oh, as they stand on the on the edge of this cliff and Will stares at himself covered in blood in the moonlight and confesses that it is in fact beautiful and Hannibal confesses back to him that this is what he wanted for the both of them the whole time and they embrace <laughs> in their shuddering breaths and will nuzzles into Hannibal's, Hannibal's chest neck area situation and Hannibal is definitely doing the I'm gonna smell you now thing oh absolutely because he is there. This is freely offered smelling opportunities. <laughs> and there's and they have this absolutely beautiful moment as Will latches on and just gently, firmly pushes them over the edge of the cliff <laughs> and into the roiling sea below. <laughs> While a song called Love Crime plays. <laughs> Oh, and then, okay, credits roll, we get to hear the rest of Love Crimes, and we get back to, you know, Chateau de Maurier, Mm -hmm. where uh, Bedelia is sitting down, you know, looking stoned out of her mind, as she is wont to do in these latter, latter episodes, over what appears to be a steaming, wrapped with leaves, glazed, beautiful leg, and we pan down to her own very well-wrapped stump of her leg, <laughs> and she picks up a fork, and that's it. And that's that's season it. three. That's season three. I mean, like, the, it's so fucking crazy. Like, it's so fucking crazy. It's so fucking crazy that entire time I was watching that, I was like, is this actually happening? It's, it oh is really, it is really difficult to reconcile. And, like, even before we go into the specifics about season three. So, Raz, you said that, like, you would watch the finale again and then you went back to the pilot. I pretty much did the same thing. Where, like, after I had finished watching the finale, like, cough 48 times, um, I went back and I started rewatching the series. And I had this really interesting experience where I think because, as Slash fans, we are really well trained in recognizing the subtext but as like non-crazy slash fans we also recognize that it is subtext sometimes we read into it we like bring our own interpretation and that's what makes the subtext like you know sexual and other times the subtext is there like purely as like i don't know something that they're never going to act on but through the lens of the finale of hannibal 
like I you cannot argue that that's not like a romantic conclusion to the series whether like whatever version of romantic you decide to like follow with that conclusion if you rewatch the series it is so gay from episode one like all the shit yeah like all the shit that I was just like oh this is subtext like it'll never like it'll never get acted on yeah like it's just me reading too much into it like no man it is so gay they went there oh absolutely from the first meeting this time around where they you know meet in Jack's office and you know Will talks about how he doesn't like looking at people's eyes and it's just it's this, this is, is so charming. Smile. So cute. This is smile. The fondest smile. This neurotic little professor. Every moment where Hannibal starts to look at Will and goes, oh, this one. Like, yes, this a little one. less from Will's side, but oh my god, from Hannibal from the get-go. Like, that is zero to real fast. Yes. So it's it's just, it's such an interesting experience. And if you're listening to this and you haven't done this yet, I really recommend it. Like, go back to the beginning. It is such an odd experience because I, like, I don't know about other people and I don't know about other fandoms, but, like, I've never had a slash pairing go canon before. Like, it's never happened to me. Um, and... I nearly forgot to mention this earlier, but the phrase murder husband became canon. Yeah. Like, they wrote oh, yeah. it into this series. Like... I've never had a slash pairing go canon before, and it is such an odd experience, like, going back, revisiting the beginning of the canon, with the context of the showrunners went there. Like, the show went there. Like, they actually fucking murder consummated their love, and then you watch it from the beginning, and all the subtext is no longer subtext. It is actually, like, textual flirting, textual intimacy, and it is such a strange experience. Because we're so used to not believing what we're seeing yeah like there are other shows where i've definitely watched and gone like you know the usual like if one of you were a girl this would be like unquestionably the romantic plot like every single one of these lines is utterly flirty but like i have zero faith that it'll ever go there exactly and then this show this show damn exactly this fucking show i miss it I miss it already. Absolutely. I'm really sad that we're not going to get any more. But at the same time, this brings me to my first point of discussion. Now that we've gone through the series, what did you, like, do do you find this a satisfying series finale if it is, in fact, our series finale? And if, yes or no, and if you had another season or a movie, what would you even want to happen in it? Like, I find it to be a pretty satisfying series finale like I like it's kind of the only way it could have ended. I find it very satisfying as an end to the season and a series. I think that I mean this isn't to say that I don't want more. I would a hundred I, I would <laughs> I would die of joy yes. if there was anything more, right? Mm-hmm. But I think leaving it at this sort of slightly ambiguous, open ended everything is terrible. This is where the show is going. Yeah. This is, like, foreshadowed from from shot one. The end is going to be terrible. On the other hand, I would totally love the Argentina storyline. 
Oh, 100%. For for people who don't know the Hannibal canon, um, the Argentina storyline is the ultimate conclusion to the Hannibal book with Hannibal and Clarice, where after he saves her from Mason Verger's farm, they kind of, like, vanish together. They He more or less, like, brainwashes her, is the implication, and they fall into a romantic relationship, the peak of which is where she... I, I keep tweeting about I'm not fucking around it's in the fucking book where he where she drizzles chateau de Ikim on her nipple and hannibal bends his sleek head down and sucks it off of her and i was like why wasn't that in this episode i feel like that is a real conclusion that will graham and hannibal lecter needed i need hugh dancy to drip chateau de Ikim on one of his nips and for moss mickelson to like sip it off of him i'm just saying that's going to be the entirety of the movie. They're going to release just, like, a five-minute clip. I mean, it. it could be, like, 50 minutes of just nipple play, <laughs> and I would watch it. Like, no joke. <laughs> no, but um, me too. For is this a satisfying series or season conclusion? Yes. Yeah. Like, if, if this somehow tragically, like, rend my clothes and cry into my pillow doesn't get picked up for a fourth season... This will have been enough. Yeah. Like, there are other shows that, uh, when they get pushed into a premature ending, even though I believe, like, this was totally filmed way before they thought they were cancelled, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, yes. But, or where they get cancelled and they get shoved into, like, some awkward ending where, like, oh, no, you left too much open or you felt, or they weren't done filming and they rushed and they shoved everything in. But, no, this one... Open-ended is exactly the right way to go for this one. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it still has a sense of finality to it. Absolutely. And it wraps up all the plot threads that need wrapping up, but there's somewhere to go. Yeah, and I also think... don't have to. Yeah, and I think that, I was thinking about this, right, where I was like, because Brian Fuller had said in an interview with um, a Vulture reporter that... If they had gotten the fourth, because Brian Fuller is like a, he's like a fanfic author, guys. Like he like totally, totally just like posts an episode and then sits there on Twitter and waits for you to like leave him comments. Like, and he totally wants That's to tell you, <laughs> he totally wants to tell you what's like in the next part of like his like big fanfic arc. And he told this Vulture reporter that the plot for season four was essentially Hannibal and Will somewhere in Europe like, murder husbands through Europe. And I know. But, like, how would you make that dynamic work, right? Because I don't think I would like it if Will went fully dark and just, like, started casually murdering people along with Hannibal, right? Like, Will, I think, is, like, still righteous and good. Like, it really reminded me of why I loved Will so much when I did the rewatch, because the first episode where he rescues Winston, like he gets the, well, he steals Winston um, to be his own. I'm sure he's happier there. And then like in a later episode with um, Buffet Frog, where he rescues Georgia Modkin, and he's literally the only person in the world who could understand her, right? Like this is a poor girl who's been sick her whole life, thinks she's dead, tries to go to someone for help and is so terrified by the lack of a face that she sees that she like flips out and kills her. 
Um, and Will is the only person like this. She's like a freak monster, but the episode concludes with him reaching out to her as she's like hiding under his bed. Like he's reaching out to the monster under his bed and they hold hands and they both know that they're alive. It's Wolf Trap, Virginia, and it's 12 o'clock at night. It's so, it's like so lovely and he has a beautiful relationship with her. And it sort of reminded me like I don't, I love Murder Husband Will. I love it when he's dark and like when he's well groomed and he doesn't look like the human equivalent of cargo pants. But I also like love the goodness in him the intensity of that goodness and that empathy and I would love it and I was sitting there thinking like what format would I be all right with them murder husbanding it throughout Europe and realistically it would be if Hannibal was still a killer but he only killed people that Will told him that he was allowed to kill like only righteous murders right like criminals that could never be prosecuted corrupt people like fucking terrible priests like all that sort of thing it would I think that that would be like great as a movie because I think you can't I think it'd be really difficult to make a full TV season out of that I think I mean but what or, if like every episode was him drinking different wines off of Hugh Dancy's chest <laughs> I would sign up for that I would too I would contribute to that Kickstarter I, I would so much. please the movie is them working through Hannibal's peer reviewers Oh. oh my god <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh my god he already worked his way through the douchebag academics of Florence like what's next on the menu um Alana yeah do you guys think she and Margot survive oh god I hope so I'm hideously invested in them me too but like Hannibal always keeps his fucking promises I think, I think Alana's more than clever enough to stay alive for a real long time ahead of him, but That's I, true. You know, I don't know. I don't know either. I think when she dies, it will be by Hannibal's hands. But the question is when that will be. Hmm. Or if she lives long enough for someone else to kill her first, and then, you know, we get the whole Hannibal spiral of, you took my kill, which... I'm gonna murder you now. I feel like if Hannibal and Will are together... And if they survive, if they both survive, and Hannibal and Will are together, Will will not let him kill Alana. Yeah, as long as Will's as um, buffer safety zone. Yeah. If well, in so much as he can ever control Hannibal. Well, I mean, it's different when like sex is on the line. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not disagreeing. Like, notice complete lack of disagreeing. <laughs> so do we think they both survived, or are they dead? I feel like there would be a season four. That table is set for three. That table is set for three. Who That's- chopped off her leg? Okay, I don't, like, I did not even realize this was a thing until I went on the internet. And then I started seeing crazy people claiming that Bedelia chopped off her own leg. Bedelia did not chop off her own fucking leg and cook it. In preparation for Hannibal. There are so many logistical impossibilities in that. That, like, even the fever dream of Hannibal cannot compensate for it. Walked to Italy. No, okay. Yeah, but, like, dude, okay, first of all, chopping off your own leg is hard. And then after you chop off your own leg. Speak from experience, yes. I mean, this is why I only have one leg. I only have one leg because I chopped off the other one to prove a fucking point. It's really hard to chop off a leg. And then to cook it 
I mean, with I mean, she can't have she can't hire someone to help her cook it. Like this is not like a situation where she can call a caterer and be like, "Hey, can you cook this leg?" No, this is something she has to do alone. She had to cook that leg. Really? She can't? What about those caterers Hannibal totally used to hire all the time? I believe 100% that Hannibal pre-prepped his meat so that it did not look like a foot attached to a human leg. Okay, well, I I 100% agree. Okay, Bedelia did not chop off her own leg. Yes. Agreed. Because logistically, but this is just the time zone vagueness of this, you know, psychedelic fairy realm. Yeah. Of... What, well, I would, you know, initially assume this is Hannibal, or what, but when, where, how? Is oh, you mean, like, when is this happening to her? I mean, so do you mean, like, when is this happening to her? Yeah, that's kind of my, I, I mean, it's, it implies, like, okay, this is post over the cliff, but, like, how post, or is it really... Well, if we take a leaf from the way they handled the post-credit scene, right, in season two, maybe what we would have opened onto for season four is, like, Bedelia coping with her new fake leg, knowing that at any minute, Hannibal, like, the, the psychological terror of the thing is that, like, Hannibal and Will have already consumed and forced her to consume her own leg, but they've let her survive because why kill an entire animal when you can't eat it all at once? So they'll come back for the rest of her at some point. So practical. I'm just saying. Um, that I mean, like, that's the way I would have played it. Like, y- then you have Bedelia, who is, like, constantly stoned out of her fucking mind to cope with this. But, like, with the knowledge that her time is very limited and then you could also have like jack crawford going to consult her because she's one of the only people who believes him about like will and hannibal not being dead like so it's just alana bedelia and jack who still think that will and hannibal aren't dead bedelia is not in a position to do anything about it she's and Alana's probably on the run so alana is on the run oh and there's Chil- but chilton like what the fuck is chilton gonna do <laughs> I mean, he won't die, but, like, he's not going to be efficacious in anything. He'll write more angry papers. Yeah, he'll try, and then Hannibal will submit something to be peer-reviewed to rebut (laughs) him under a false name. He'll, like, submit a paper under the name Hannibal Graham, and people will be like, oh, it's not the same person. Okay, 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 so back to, um, hypothetical season four Bedelia with their leg. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I even thought it through fully, but, like, that's sort of what I assume would happen. Well, I guess part of my confusion came from just connecting timeline. For some reason, I was under the impression it was the same night, which oh. is probably ridiculous, and, but, like, there wasn't enough of a implication of a time shift for, I just assumed it was the same night, which is what made me crazy. No, I that, I mean, like, that makes sense. If it was the same night, then maybe it was, like, Bedelia went hard and, like, decided to cut <laughs> off her own leg. But, like, I this is or just, like, I don't know, but this is, like, my deal. And this is, like, admittedly, this comes from the fact that I've, like, hosted a lot of dinner parties in my life. <laughs> and I cook a lot. 
But like you can like she didn't know if they were coming. You like it takes a lot of time to prep something like that. Like to prep like even setting aside the self amputation. Like it takes a long time to cook a piece of meat that large. And then, like, to set the table and make everything ready. Like, and you want to serve that thing at a certain temp. Like, you don't want it to go cold. It can't be, like, blistering out of the oven or else, like, the juices won't recirculate and it won't be tender. I'm just saying there are considerations to keep in mind if you are going to, like, host people to eat, like, a large cut of meat. Just saying. If people start going missing in New York City and have bits of pieces missing, well, no. I cannot, like, you. no one ever has... I creepy Raz creepy no one no one ever has to worry about this because I'm like the weakest human alive and I could not butcher anything to save my life (laughs) like I honestly am so close to going full vegan because I find pigs cute and it upsets me when I look at them and I think but bacon is delicious like I'm so wretched at all of this stuff. Like, I think once my most famous, like, cooking failure story was we were doing, when I was in London, we were doing Thanksgiving, and we had, like, ordered a turkey. But in England, they take off the claw bit of the the chicken foot or the turkey foot, but they don't take off, like, most of the foot, so there's still, like, the foot attached to the fucking turkey. And I was like... That, no, that can't stand. So, like, imagine me and my friend there with, like, one of my cleavers covering oh my our God. eyes, trying to cut off the foot part of the turkey without looking at it. Because the Did skin... you hurt yourself? No, not doing that. I hurt myself doing other parts that day. But, like, it was, it was, I'm not, I can't kill anyone, NSA, as I'm sure you're listening. I can't kill anyone. Raz probably could, though. I can't cook, though. Yeah, but you invited yourself over for cannibal dinner, like, way too quickly. Well, I just, I, this show makes me hungry. It makes a this lot show of people make hungry. hungry. It makes a lot of people hungry. Um, was there anything else about the season that you guys really wanted to talk about? Oh my god. All the, all the subtext became kin, and I, I, was this all a hallucination? Yes! I don't know. I really didn't expect it, though. It's kind of funny, but season three actually does kind of feel like two different seasons with how tonally different the two halves are. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the first half was, you know, the Italian courses. Second half, all the episode titles are Blake paintings. And then the entire, like, tone of the visuals are different. Yeah. So it's It's kind of like like we got four seasons. (laughs) Kind of. Okay, silver lining. Um, it was very much, it was this, I don't want to call it quite coming down to earth, but for about two seconds there, it was sort of suddenly grounded again. Yeah. Where, um, okay, this was back to like the going all the way back to season one. Yeah. Where they'd make references to things like, oh, the Georgetown psychology department. And they'd have the little, you know, typewriter sound as place names would show up to indicate where we were. And it had like this air of, you all. You almost thought we were getting a procedural there. Like, Science. there was a little minute where you thought, like, oh, we'll get a weird serial killer in an episode. And they almost did that, but it was sort of grounded in what we expected. And then in the second half of season three, even so steeped in the madness that we'd, like, become accustomed to, <laughs> it was still somehow more grounded like that. Like, 
we're gonna there's there's will at a farm with some dogs this takes place on planet earth america (laughs) east coast and not like demonic fairy hell realm slash florence (laughs) yeah that was was nice while it lasted okay for all like five seconds yeah i know it was it was like so i mean this show is like so singular and weird like there's a reason that like i was always surprised every time i got renewed when i that i wasn't surprised when i got canceled i like i genuinely feel like this show is a gift it's like a weird singular occasion where so many things that should not have been allowed on network television were allowed on network television. And every like every episode has something that where I was like, how did I get on TV? Yeah. And like this is Brian Fuller winning at fandom forever. Like he got French people to produce his fanfic like and put it on TV. Like no one has ever balled harder at fandom than Brian Fuller. Like, in case you guys don't know, like, in the original canon of the Hannibal books, Will Graham and Hannibal do not interact that much. Like, they meet, like, one. They have, like, one scene prior to, like, Hannibal being arrested. And yeah, then... Like, five minutes in, Will is like, oh, shit. Yeah. Old man drawing. Exactly. And then, like, and then, you know, he gets consulted for the Dollar Hyde murders for Manhunter, and that's, like, that's it. And, like, this bro was like, I'm gonna write Slash fanfic about this. And he got someone to make a TV show. It's And then he got Hugh Dancy and Moss Mickelson. And it's, and I mean, <gasps> it's kind of amazing. I, like, I genuinely feel hashtag blessed to have been part of this and part of the fandom. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And this one was just, it, it crafted this whole they're just they're so tangled up darkness romance murder everything of it was just so not anything you ever thought we were gonna get exactly i mean it was the show is a treasure i'm really grateful for it i'm also like i genuinely love the hannibal fandom all the fanables are kind of delightful so it was just it's just been like an overwhelmingly positive like weird snail eating cannibalistic murder flower husband. Crown yeah, flower crown wearing like murder dwarf nightmare <laughs> stag experience. It's been great. It's been great. All right, guys, I'm going to kick us over to questions from listeners now. The first one we got was from Xenophonique, and she specifically asked whether or not we thought Bedelia cut her own leg off as an offering to Hannibal. And I think we all agree, like, no, right? No. Yeah. No. Um, okay. <laughs> you, your, your opinion has been noted, Raph. I'm just... Uh... <laughs> Fine. Fine. Give me season four. Give Fine. me season four. Fine. Oh, Kit... no. It looks like you'll have to give us a season four. Yeah. Kit and I agree that she did not cut off her leg. Raz, yeah, who, Raz, who really instantly sense. invited herself to a hypothetical cannibal dinner, says yes. Shut up. Um, second question from Anonymous was, I'd be curious about your thoughts on Alana, especially her sheltering approach toward Abigail in season one. I love her protectiveness in general, but Alana argued against the first expression of agency we see from Abigail when she asks to go back home. Yes, Abigail is a minor and traumatized, but shouldn't her therapist embrace her wanting to take ownership of her situation instead of keeping her secluded? 
It is weird to think of season one Alana now. Oh, it's super weird. It's super weird. Season one Alana was all like soft draped lines. Season three Alana was like, gives no fucks. I'm going to wear this pantsuit and this strong red lip and fuck everyone. Yeah, pretty much. It is so weird to think about the difference between season one Alana and season three. Yeah. I mean, I... The way that Alana is portrayed, like, she's such a good person, but I think she is very coddling, right? Like, her entire thing about Will is that she just wished everyone would leave him alone. Oh, yeah, and from the first, like, her first conversation is, I'm not going to be alone with him because I want to be friends with him. Like, everything about, she insulates people. Yes. And, like, not necessarily, well, not necessarily because they don't need to be insulated because God knows this version of the world they live in. But, like, it's a it's a thing for her. She wants to do that. Whereas by season three, she's like, I have run out of this. It is down to me and mine. The rest of the world can burn. Well, yes. I think that at season three, she's operating on survival instincts as well. And quite literally. Yeah. As well one should when Hannibal the Cannibal has promised to eat them. <laughs> but, I mean, even as far back, or even as recently as, you know... Um, Muskrat Farm mid-season three, like, she's the one who lets Hannibal go to save Will, even though she knows she's signing her own death sentence there. Like, she very much has that drive to protect, to save, and well, I'm not a therapist. Thank goodness. Yeah. So I can't really comment on the, like, medical viability of her treatment of Abigail. Yeah. I I feel like I feel like Alana, like the problem is that Alana is like the one sane person in the asylum and because everyone around her is like so fucking bug fuck she seems hesitant and um overly protective by comparison whereas I think that like in a real psychiatric environment like her approach might be the correct one, right? Because it's not that she's saying that Abigail can never go back to her home, but I don't necessarily... Yet. Yeah, it's it's it was pretty soon, and, like, people had written cannibals on their garage door, so it might have been a little rough for her landing back there. I think the conclusion is none of us have an MD. No, none of us do. And I mean, like, if anyone is a psychologist and has, like, interesting thoughts on this, please do let us know. Um... So another question that we received was specifically about any headcanons for what would come up next for Hannibal. All of them? Your reviewers. It, it, <laughs> so I think the thing I love so much about ambiguous open-ended endings is that it can be anything I want, right? Yes. Um, they could have died in some ways. You could say that, you know, the arc, the structure was always going there. They died on the cliffs. You could go with the stinger and be like, Argentina is happening. It could be anything, and I love that. Yeah. I mean, this open-endedness, and just with the fanfic rules of this show of everything is permitted, is Will dead? No. Because for some reason, I'm pretty sure Hannibal's not dead. If one of them's going to be dead. I think... But of course Will's not dead. Well, Hannibal seems like sort of unkillable to me. But Will's not dead. Oh, he is not of this earth. Yeah. Can <laughs> of I? course Will's not dead. But I mean, the utter belief that neither of them are dead almost, I don't want to say it undercuts the, like, going over the cliff end of scene. 
because it certainly didn't lack that dramatic tension. Yeah. But there's still just this rote assumption that, like, of course they're alive. It's just a question of what happens next. Yeah, that's true. After the option of death. That's very true. Although, I mean, I wonder how much of that is driven by the fact that we're all, like, total Hannibal Will tin hats. And, like, the thought of them being dead is, like, too terrible for us to contemplate. I mean, if we're tin hats, at least he's not with this show anymore. Hey, if we're tin hats, at least Hugh Dancy is there with us. There was an interview he did, I think it was with uh, Entertainment Weekly or Vulture. Mm-hmm. I forget right now. I've been reading so much just to, like, stay. Just keeping the show alive in my heart. Right. <laughs> just keep in, the inter- in the interview, asks, you know, hey, what do you think happened? And, you know, he very much is like, you know, I think Hannibal survives. He's not... He basically goes with the, you know, he's not human. Yeah. And then the answer, his, his answer, Hugh Dancy's answer to the question of, you know, so what do you think happens next? He's like, well, I think they're sitting on some beach drinking stuff out of a coconut. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. But can I tell you guys, like, my secret heart's wish for this? And this is, like, oh, so please. classic me. So... Uh, like ideally this would be so good is if they go off the cliff Hannibal manages to get them out of the water right and Will is very 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 badly injured um and he does not survive like he doesn't die immediately it's not like Hannibal loses him to the ocean but like Hannibal like manages to drag him onto the shore like get them somewhere where he tries to provide medical treatment but like Will dies preferably like under his medical care, right? Because oh I think it would be, God. like, extra double bad. And that would be fucking incredible, right? Like, it would be, like, no handbrake anymore, Hannibal Lecter. No fucks given. No, like, I don't think that Will was ever a tempering influence, but, like, no one to potentially, like, guide your murderous impulses in, like, the correct fashion. No one to play again. And then Will right? haunts him, right? Well, no, because I don't believe in ghosts, except for I believe in ghosts. So, like, Hannibal, the only way Hannibal can see Will is by going into his mind palace. But, like, can you... the way Abigail haunted Will. Yeah. Yes, more or less. But it's not the same, right? Because the reason that, like, and you, I, this is one of the things that I realized as I was, like, re-watching the series, is that the reason I think Hannibal, like, becomes so besotted with Will is because he's unexpected. He's unpredictable. Like, he doesn't necessarily do the things that Hannibal anticipates he does. He's not as breakable as Hannibal thought he was. He's not as strong as Hannibal thought he was. Like, Hannibal cannot figure this guy out and like so the version of will that like hannibal has in his mind palace would still be disappointment because it wouldn't be the real will he would never have the full range of like empathy and like changeability and variability that like a real will would and like so then you just have like a grief crazed murderous psychopath on the loose and it would be so great i watch it me i'd be there for it me too. Oh, I would watch that. Is anyone writing that? Someone should write that. Someone should write that, bro. Not gonna be me. Mm. There are already enough people out with pitchforks after me for stories that I have left hanging for the moment. So <laughs> I am not allowed to write Hanagram fan fiction. I can get bribed. I can feel you guys looking at me. Stop looking at me. I'm not doing it. But I actually that's like a nice segue. That's a nice segue. For the final part of our episode, which is guys, this show was a gift. 
And hopefully it's one that will keep giving through the medium of fandom. So as we depart this lovely third season, Rex, for our beloved listeners, guys. I think I'm going to kick off with a slightly odd one. Okay. Uh, This is actually a TV review from Vulture. Oh, okay. It is called A Conversation with Dr. Lecter on the Strange New Season of Hannibal. Okay. It's by one Matt Zoller cites, and the entire review is done as a conversation between the reviewer and Dr. Lecter. Oh, good. It's it's great. I mean, I mean, it's great. We'll have to, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I just love how... It's very Hannibal with the, like, leading questions while the reviewer's just, like, going on and on about season three. <laughs> Good. It makes me happy. Okay. So that's my first. Raz, have you got anything? No, I think Raz said I... that she didn't have anything. <laughs> well, okay, I have no thick racks. What I do have, though, is the Entertainment Weekly article, Everything Hannibal Wore. Oh, my God, Yes. <laughs> Which is a masterpiece of just going through from the very first season and documenting every every outfit Hannibal wore, from the jackets to the suits to the keep your eye on the pocket swear <laughs> of the oh if tie optional means up to no good and through the ages through the many moods and feelings and occasions everything Hannibal wore. On Hannibal. Oh my god, it's I so read good. The article. It is a delightful little romp. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> Kid, do you have anything else? So, I love AUs. Mm-hmm. I love alternate universes. So, this is going to be an AU wreck. But Grace Cafe by Logan. Um, this is an AU where Hannibal Lecter is the owner of a cafe with an adopted daughter, Abigail. Uh, Will Graham falls head bonkers over heels and everything is terrible because hello Chesapeake River oh so he's still the Chesapeake good I'm glad that stays constant like what would I do with that there's some constants in life (laughs) Will and Hannibal are obsessed with each other Hannibal kills Abigail is their murder daughter good Okay, cool. My turn. <laughs> so I actually have quite a number of wrecks for this fandom because uh, actually someone had mentioned in one of the ask boxes that I have um, for this podcast, they were cracking up because we did do a Hannibal episode during the first season, midway through first season. And I remember saying something about how I didn't really feel the need for fan fiction for this show. Yeah. I, I said that I wasn't reading fanfic for the show. I didn't feel the need for it. And that I, I wasn't even shipping Will and Hannibal romantically. I thought that they had like a really intense relationship, but like I didn't necessarily see it as romantic. And they were like, I wonder what happened. I will tell you what happened, Anon. This show like upped its game with me. It's like there's a certain like I, my default is not necessarily to, like, search for the slash ship. I actually do consume a lot of media that I don't have, like, a fanish relationship with. But, like, like midway, like, not midway through season one, but, like, toward the end of season one, like, when the encephalitis, like, thread started to happen and, like, Hannibal started to describe Will's, like, disease as, like, fevered sweetness. And, like, other such things that at the time I was like, this is, my mind is blown. Like, we're Abigail's fathers now. Stuff like that, which, like, I thought was, like, holy shit, that's, like, 
the, that's like the most slash subtext thing I've ever seen. Little did I know. Um, my brain was like, well, I guess now it's time to get on this like train. I should bro- I should like board this train and like buy a first class coach ticket and like ride it until the sunset. And season two doubled down on that. Season three threw a gay wedding on top of it. Like oh it was, God. I like in terms of like what changed my mind. It was basically like the show changed my mind. The show changed my mind because Brian Fuller apparently explicitly wanted me to ship Will and Hannibal, and who am I to protest? Um, really great shit manifesto. I, it, you know, I, it's, it's pretty great. Um, but in terms of fic that I'm recommending, the first one I will say that everyone should absolutely read. It's the story that I recommend to everyone whenever they come to me for Hannibal recommendations, which has, like, been happening a lot in the last couple of days as people kind of see the finale of the show and they're like holy shit like what should i read my number one recommendation in hannibal fan fandom is a story called consenting to dream by emin gear and apologies if i butchered the name but um the story is described by the author as a seduction through physical objects it is an incredibly atmospheric dreamily darkly romantic story that starts when hannibal gives will a scarf Um, and continues through there. There's always, like, a slight element of, like, sugar daddy Hannibal in, like, the fandom, just because, like, Will is human cargo shorts, and (laughs) Hannibal, like, wears plaid suits, and it's delightful. Like, Hannibal takes him to the opera, they bone, like, everything about it is great. And I'm being incredibly reductive, but this is a story that's, like, romantic and dreamy and has like the nightmarish tone and feeling and aesthetic of the actual show itself without too much of like the gore potentially that might turn someone off. I really recommend it. It's my number one pick in Hannibal fandom. Followed by, if you want to read something that is like, that just will make you unhappy, <laughs> like that is just going to like make you feel real bad. Um, my recommendation is a story called In Kittiesville or In Neediesville oh, no. by an author called Bex. So one of the things that if you are plunging headfirst into Hannibal fandom is you will realize that like a full 50% of the fanfic is alpha beta omega fanfic. And if you have seen the show, it is really obvious as to why that is the case. Like literally the first time you meet Will Graham and Jack Crawford like gets into his space and like touches him without his permission, you're like, I get it. That makes sense now. That's completely why the fandom has decided to like hop on that bandwagon. Um, So this story is one where the premise is that Will and Hannibal were in like a committed romantic pair bonded relationship and Will is an Omega. And in this universe, like whenever he goes into heat, like he is chemically bonded to his partner. And as long as he is alive in order to survive his heat successfully, he has to go and have a conjugal visit or else like his body will basically just burn him to death. It is one of the most miserable and wonderfully written explorations of misery that I've ever read. Like if you just want to be like, twisted with unhappiness at the misery of Will Graham's life, this is a great story for it. 
Jesus Christ, you sound so gleeful. I, I am. It's so well written. I mean, like, I will totally accept it when, like, a writer twists the knife in my gut as long as they do it in an artful fashion. Like, I am honored to have been, like, to, like completely destroyed by this story because it was so well written. Um, and to sort of as, like, a nice palate cleanser, I have two vid wrecks both of which are really fun. So you can like, as you're still crying because of the last story and it was so bad, um, you can watch these two vids, which are fabulous. The first one is a vid where it is the, it is a Hannibal parody trailer to the Silver Linings Playbook trailer. It is so perfectly timed. It is fucking hilarious. And the best part about this is this one was retweeted by Brian Fuller and that's how I found it. <laughs> Like, he retweeted this trailer. I'll send you, Kit, and Raz the link later so you can watch it and get a giggle. It's, I think I've seen this one, but I will totally watch it again. It's so good. Um, and then the other one, which I think was just posted, like, oh, no. It was posted quite a while ago, but I hadn't ever seen it before. I found it today, and it made me laugh for, like, six hours, um, is a Hannibal Wilvid to Taylor Swift's Blank Space. <laughs> Also phenomenal. So good. If you've heard the song, you already know where this is going. And the vid is very, very well done. So you should watch those two as a palate cleanser after the fanfic and the show guts you. But what a way to go. <laughs> so because Prue is just wrecking like soul shredding thick, I think I'll throw one more out here. Oh, good. Um, Chine by Griffin. Yes. I screwed everything up. <laughs> The summary is that Will is approached by Jack Crawford to consult on the Minnesota strike case. He does not accept. You know what? Which is what Will needed to have done all along. Yes. Everything ends <laughs> in a good place for Will. It ends in a good place for no one else. Yes. But it doesn't matter because things end well for Will here. Yeah. I be just sometimes it's all you just need. I second that recommendation. I've actually told people before. How, so I basically like read all of my fanfic off of Instapaper. And I have like a, yeah, and I have like a folder in my Instapaper account called um, Hannibal and Shine is permanently saved in there. Like, I would basically, like, watch an episode of Hannibal, and, like, in my agony, I would have to, like, reread Shine as, like, kind of, like, this is what actually happened. This show is just mean fanfic. It never went down this way. Everything's okay. Oh, God, I remember back in, like, season one when all this shit was just starting to go bad. Yes. And I'd just, you know, clutch my pillow and be like, you're gonna find Molly. It's gonna be okay. Little did we know... And then we hit season three, we were like, Molly, why? Why? Yeah, why? Why, Molly? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I think that's oh it. God. Do you oh guys God. have any closing thoughts for people? For him? I have a closing thought from Boggies and Tea. Oh, my God, let's hear it. Uh, Hannibal now makes cannibal sex jokes. She votes that we have a discussion about how Hannibal makes cannibal sex jokes. Lots of jokes about sausage, which, by the way, remember when he made sausage? <laughs> and fed sausage to Will? <laughs> and Will's dogs? <laughs> oh, God, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't either. I don't know. I'm like, this show made me so happy, and I'm, like, so sad at the same time. <laughs> it made me so happy, but I, 
I think 13, 14 episodes is like the good length because any more and I would just be like in a permanent state of meltdown. That's true. That's very accurate. And I feel like if Raz had to watch more than 13 episodes in one like hallucinogenic like week, you would have died. Yeah. 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 It was a near thing. Save myself. <laughs> kill them all. <laughs> That's not worrying at all. And on that upsetting and disturbing <laughs> note, uh, Raz, kid, thank you for joining me on this episode to talk about Hannibal. It was a pleasure. I'm increasingly worried about our association, but it's too late now. Um, And thank you, Slash Reporters, for listening. Um, If you miss us during the rest of the week, you can find us on Twitter at Slash Report or find us on Tumblr at Slash Report, even though we never post anything there. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Often Imprudent, and you can find Moon Klutz, who will be back Soon, eventually, at some point, I don't know, something like that, at MCLUTS, or sorry, at MoonCLUTS on Twitter. And that wraps us up for this week. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the flip side. Bye. No oh, pressure, God, so but this was only, like, our number one most requested episode for this season. Oh, so no God, pressure, God. guys. Mm-hmm. No pressure, guys. Thanks for asking to be on the show, Prue. You're welcome. This will be dead sobered by the seat of my pants. So it'll be pretty. That's what we like. That's what we like to hear on Slash Report. That's the level of professionalness and preparedness <laughs> we like to get from our guests.